Welcome to the Pathway Church Podcast, where you'll find fresh messages uploaded weekly. Pathway Church is a Bible-based church located in Peterborough, Ontario, and we're on a mission to reach people far from God and see them become devoted followers of Jesus. We hope that what you hear today will help you to take one step closer to Jesus. Thanks so much for joining us, and if you like what you hear, don't forget to subscribe. That uh, for the next three Sundays today and the next two weeks, we're going to be showing a video series that I was really excited to share with you because of who is sharing the content and the content is so helpful. Um, you're going to be hearing uh, today and over the next three weeks from Carrie Newhoff, and uh, we're going to be um, joining into this series called To Be List. And I just appreciate Carrie so much. I had the opportunity to meet him. Oh, about 10 years ago, while we were launching Pathway Church, I was a young green pastor, was trying to figure out how to, what to do, how to do it. And then there was this, this guy who had a, a large church in Barrie, multi-campus, uh, doing stuff all over the world. And he took the time to, to have me up to visit him and to have breakfast with him and just to ask him questions. And over the years, he's invested in my life, both personally, but also through the content mm. he Produces. Yeah. Some of you uh, will have seen the Carrie Newhoff Leadership Podcast. Maybe yeah. we have some listeners watching. So Carrie's um, so Carrie's someone who has invested in my life in numerous ways, and so I'm excited to share uh, him as he shares this message with our church this morning. Well, that's a pretty ambitious title package, isn't it? You're already feeling behind or like you haven't done enough. I feel like I need a nap. So uh, thanks for coming today. But no, kidding. Uh, Hey, we're really glad we're starting a brand new, glad you're here. We're starting a brand new series uh, called To Be List. And I want to take you back to a moment in my life that was really defining. Um, I don't know about you, but I've always been a very driven person. At the age of eight, I decided I wanted to become a lawyer. And I don't know how you decided that you wanted to do what you wanted to do, but at a very young age, I don't know why that popped into my head. I think in retrospect, it was probably God, but I just decided that that was something I wanted to do. I've always been very ambitious, and I've always been very driven. How many of you would say you probably lean toward the driven side of humanity? You're pretty driven. Yep, that's me. Okay, well, this is going to be a challenging series if that's you. And I had a defining moment in my life that happened at age 24. As I said, from the time I was eight, I was going to be a lawyer. That's what I was going to do with my life. And sure enough, I got into the law school that I wanted to go to. And as I've told some of you before, how I got into ministry, it was a a really strange, unpredictable, and powerful time. Uh, So between first and second year law, I worked at a law firm, and uh, I thought, I'm going to see whether I really want to do this or not. Now, I'd already recommitted my life to Christ, decided at 22 or 21 that I was going to live my adult life as a Christian. I'd grown up in a Christian home, but kind of started having doubts in my late teen years, and never really fully fell away, but fell away far enough that, you know, I needed to come back. And so I came back, recommitted my life to Christ, but it was still law for me, and I was working at this firm, and I had a moment, like quite a powerful moment, a moment that I would look back on, and if you're skeptical, if you're an atheist, if you're an agnostic, um, you know, I totally get where in the rational mind this doesn't make a lot of sense, and I'm not somebody, I should let you know, I'm not somebody who, who would hear from God, even though I'm a pastor now. I don't like directly hear from God every day, just so you know. I know there are people who say they hear from God every day, and they, I'm, I'm like a very rational person, so I read the Bible, I hear from that. Probably, you know, a dozen times in my life, I would say I directly like, wow, that was really God. He really spoke to me. See, I'm a former lawyer. I don't feel much, so there's not much of a heart there. <laughs> so um, maybe God's speaking, and I'm just missing it. But anyway, 
when I was 24, it was August uh, of the summer before I went back to law school for my second year, where I had a moment that was unreal. It was just a normal day. It was 3 o'clock in the afternoon, and I was working on a case, getting ready, you know, wrap up the day and head home by 5 kind of thing. And uh, as I was finishing working on this case, I got up from behind the desk, and I just had a moment. I was fully awake, but I had a vision. Like, I wasn't asleep, I didn't nod off, but I had this vision, and it was a picture of myself 20 years in the future. So I was 24, I caught a vision of myself at 44, highly successful as a lawyer. Made lots of money, very successful, winning cases, kind of at the top of my field. But I also, at the same time, in that instant, in that heartbeat, saw a picture of what my life was like, and it was a mess. I was divorced. My kids hated me, even though I wasn't married at the time and didn't have any kids at the time at 24. Uh, My kids hated me, uh, and I was morally bankrupt. Successful on the outside, rotten on the inside. And in that moment, I don't know why I put two and two together. I think it was God. I'm like, oh, wow, law is not what I'm going to do with my life. Now, you know, I have lots of lawyer friends who are wonderful people. I'm married to a lawyer. That's what my wife does. So this is not an indictment of lawyers at all. But I just interpreted in that moment, in that daydream, that law wasn't for me. And, you know, it's 3 o'clock in the afternoon. I'm stunned that this happened. And then I'm asking myself, well, what am I supposed to do? And I started praying, like, at the law firm. Like, God, what am I supposed to do with my life? And as I was kind of trying to figure out what on earth just happened, because that doesn't happen very often, never, Uh, I go into the library of the law firm. Now, for those of you at our Midland location, um, it was actually a law firm in Midland, and that's my hometown where I grew up through my teen years. And the church that I was a part of was just down the road. And as I'm looking out the bay window of the law firm, I'm looking down the street, and I see the church I grew up in. But the only part of the church that I could see was the pastor's study in the offices. And I felt this prompting, this voice that said, you should be in there. And I'm like, what? Like on my list of 100 things I was going to do with my life, ministry was number 117. It was at the bottom of the list. I always felt sorry for pastors. It's like, can't you get a real job? Like, you know, why don't you do something with your life? But all of a sudden, that was the beginning, and there there was much more to follow after that of confirmation. But it was like, wow, I'm I'm supposed to be in ministry, and here we are all those years later. But, you know, that was the beginning of a journey for me, where being a very driven young man, and still being very driven today, I'm pretty ambitious, I'm pretty driven. I mean, people, you've got to be somewhat driven to start churches, and that's what we've done, and we've seen God do amazing things. Um, But I always thought that your competency really determined what was going to happen with your life. I always thought that you just needed to study hard, get into the right schools, you know, read the right books, know the right people, work harder than everybody else, and that would really determine the direction and the quality of your life. But in that vision, in that moment, um, that was the beginning of a new turn of thought for me. And I started to realize, okay, maybe competency isn't everything. Like, you can kind of have it all, but not have it all. You could kind of be at the top of your game, but missed the point. And so it led me into a different way of assessing the real value of your life, that it's not so much what you do that matters, it's who you are, it's who you become. 
that really, if you want to look at it, and this is what I want to talk about for the next three weekends, it's your character, not your competency, that determines your capacity. That if you really want to look at how life works, and, and for those of us who are driven... All right, we're thinking, well, what am I going to accomplish with my life? Like, is my company going to keep growing? Am I I'm going to start my own thing? Am I going to open up that coffee shop I've been thinking about? Am I going to raise my kids right? Your drivenness can definitely be directed toward your family. Am I going to, what am I going to accomplish with my life? Am I ever going to, like, launch a podcast, write a book? Like, what am I going to do? Am I going to travel? Am I going to see all the cities that I want to see and the countries that I want to see? I'm going to make the right connections. Like, what am I going to do? See, that's all competency stuff. It's like my life consists of what I do. I don't think your life consists of what you do. I think your life really consists, the deepest meaning of life and the thing that matters most is not your competency, it's your character. It's who you are. And now that I look back, I wrote about some of this stuff in a a book that released last year called Didn't See It Coming. But as I was writing Didn't See It Coming, um, I, I, I thought, you know, I don't think that was just a, a vision about law. I think it definitely was about law versus ministry. It certainly got me onto a different path in my life, and I believe it was from God. But I think that could have easily have happened in ministry, where I could have been very successful, growing church, and totally blown it morally with my family, or even with my, you know, even if you don't up in, end up in bed with somebody that you, you're, you're not married to, I could blow it in just being the jerk nobody wants to be around. The angry dad all the time. The boss nobody wants to work for. Like, that's not that hard for driven people to get there. And so it, it, I really have become convinced that, you know, we got all this stuff we want to do in life and maybe even some things you feel God has called you to do, but that pales in comparison to who you're called to be. And so I want, what I want to do to get us started, uh, Stephen Covey actually took me on this exercise, not personally, but through his book, Seven Habits of Highly Effective People which I read years ago, shortly after it came out. It's a perennial bestseller, definitely worth reading, um, where he said, I want you to imagine your funeral. And I want you to imagine what happens when you're not the person going to the funeral, but you're the person who everybody is going to see. Because here's the reality in your life and my life. One day, you're not going to wake up, right? One day, aren't you glad you came to church? You got to find that out. One day, you're going to die, And the mortality rate currently is 100%. So this is going to happen. Now, clearly, that doesn't apply to you today because you're here, you're watching, you're listening or whatever. And obviously, today so far hasn't been my day. I made it through one service. We're working on two. All right, but one day, and I don't know when, it could be tomorrow. You're not going to wake up. And people are going to gather for your funeral. And funerals are kind of weird things. Some people don't even like to talk about it. They don't like to talk about death. All right? I mean, we don't even call them funerals sometimes anymore. We call them memorials or celebrations of life. And funerals are also kind of weird because you've got to wear certain clothes for funerals, right? And that's where you discover that, wow, I haven't bought a suit in 15 years. And people look at you and it's like, oh, that's medieval. Like, that's really interesting. And it doesn't fit like it used to. And funerals are also the only place you can still get triangle sandwiches. Did you know that? <laughs> With butter And like, you know, never on Yelp do you see best triangle sandwiches in the country, right? Nobody ever claims that, but you can still get them at funerals. So funerals are kind of really weird things um, that you go to. But being a pastor for the last 24 years, I've been to a lot of funerals, and I've conducted a lot of funerals. And I can tell you, uh, I've had a lot of experience with families and a lot of experience, and, you know, with some of your family as well, And here's what's true about funerals, and this is true about the day that you don't wake up. 
that the dead can't talk, but people talk about the dead. You won't be able, when your family is gathered, if you're, you know, my wife is there, my kids are there, my remaining family's there, my friends are there, some of my coworkers are there, you know, that, that gathering of people who come out when you die, if they start talking about you, and you can no longer say, excuse me, that's not exactly what I meant, or that's, that's not exactly how it happened. You can't talk, but they start talking about you. And the question I want you to wrestle down today, and the question I want to wrestle down and have been wrestling down as we get ready for this series is, what will people say about you? What do you think people will say about you? Because it's, it's really interesting, you know, when you meet with a family after there's been a death, people talk and talk and talk and talk, and what are they going to say about you? It's a, it's a pretty sobering question, and that's the exercise Stephen Covey has us all moving down, and it's really interesting. And, and if I'm really honest, I'm kind of glad it's not my last day because <laughs> there's some stuff I'm working on, and I'm still working on, and I haven't quite mastered. So what do you think if you died today, people would say about you truthfully? It's a tough question. I can tell you what people never do. For all of us who are driven, for all of us who are like checking our stats and making sure that progress is up and to the right, I'll tell you what's never happened in all the funerals I've been to, all the funerals I've conducted. No son ever pulls out his dad's resume at his father's funeral. No son is ever like, do you see where my dad graduated? Do you see the jobs he held? They don't care. No kid ever discusses a parent's net worth while they stand around a casket or urn. And nobody close to you will ever be reciting the stats from your final quarter at your celebration of life. Nobody. It's never happened. In fact, you know, you know what they do? They stand around and they talk about your character. They talk about, Dad had all the time in the world for me. Mom was so kind. Mom was so, or sometimes, to be honest, because I've spent time with a lot of families, sometimes the stories aren't that pleasant. It's like dad was really selfish. He drank a lot. He had an explosive temper. And I just never got close to him. I never really knew my mom. Now, that stuff never makes it to the part of the funeral that you see because they do eulogies, and the eulogies are always the best of whoever died. And everybody's always awesome, and they can't believe how amazing they were, but sometimes eulogies are short for a reason because we just said in those four minutes all the good things we could say about so-and-so, and they're not glad they're dead, but I've been around cases where like people aren't even going to be missed. And nobody's impressed. You can build the, you know, a multi-million dollar, billion dollar company. Your family's not impressed. You can say, I got to all the countries I wanted to visit before I died. Nobody's impressed. You know what people remember about you? They remember who you were. Way more than they remember what you did. And your kids don't care about what you did. I mean, they do. Sure, they're proud of you, etc. But they don't care about your company or your promotion or, you know, this little hobby you got. They, 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 they care about how you treated them. And I think in that respect, that's how God looks at us. I think God cares far more about who I am 
than what I do. Now, if you want to make it even more complicated, and we don't like to think about this, right, because we all think we're so important and everyone's trying to be famous and internet famous and Instagram famous and people will remember me forever. Probably not. Tell me the name of your great-great-great-grandfather. I don't know mine either, okay? I think there's like 12 of them. I don't know. But you don't know who your great-great-great-grandfather is. You remember your grandfather, your great-grandfather maybe, but you don't remember your great-great-grandfather. I was going to say it's like that quote in the Bible, you know? You think of yourself as so important, you're not that important. It's true. I'm not that important. But we do have an impact on the people around us. And here's what's going to happen, all right? When you die, it's so pleasant, isn't it? Anyway, when you die, people are going to talk about you all day long. And it'll be like, oh, he was this, he was that. Do you remember that time? Yeah, 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 yeah. And then it'll eventually get reduced to a paragraph. And then depending on the time and how close they were, eventually, this is true of you, it's true of me, one day your life will be reduced to a single sentence. It's like, oh, yeah, Carrie. He was fill in the blank. Can you pass the salsa? Literally, that's what happens, right? Because you've done this. It's like, oh, yeah, Uncle Fred. Yeah, I remember Uncle Fred, blah, blah, blah. Can you pass salsa? Right? That, that's what happens to you and me. And the question is, well, what is in that sentence? What is in that sentence? That's why I'm glad it's not my last day. It's like there's some things I want to write in that sentence that aren't probably accurately in that sentence yet. And there are things that God is still working on in me that are not in that sentence yet. The scriptures are really, really interesting. So the uh, Bible's divided in two sections, large sections, the Christian Bible. The Old Testament, the part, the story before Jesus, and then the New Testament, the story of Jesus and what happened after Jesus. And some of the New Testament has letters in it. We forget. We just say it's Romans or whatever. But it's actually a letter, and it's a letter that Paul, one of the early evangelists, one of the people who did similar to things to what I did, only on a much bigger scale, um, he went around and planted churches all over the Mediterranean basin, and one of the churches that was planted in the first century was in Rome. Now, if you've ever been to Rome, you know, I, I was just there for the first time myself uh, last month. And all of a sudden, the letter comes alive. It's like, oh, the Appian Way, and I'm walking on the Appian Way. It's actually that road that Paul and Peter walked is still there. And these were real people who lived inside the city gates. And so Paul is writing a letter to Christians in Rome. And, you know, Romans, the, the book of Romans is a pretty big theological treatise, all right, it's got all kinds of stuff you should know about God and how it actually works and well, what about grace and faith and how does that work and the Old Testament versus the New Testament. But he finishes the letter kind of like you and I would finish a letter. There's all these people. He says, hey, by the way, while I got you, say hi to. It's just like you're on a FaceTime and you're like, oh, it's grandpa in the room. Say hi to grandpa. All right, so he does that. And, and then he lists them, and we get to read this. So nobody ever preaches this chapter, but it's really fascinating because he sums up the lives of people he knew, ordinary people he knew, in a single sentence. And watch this. Here's the list. I commend, this is Romans 16, I commend to you our sister Phoebe, who is a deacon in the church in Sancria. Welcome her in the Lord as one who is worthy of honor among God's people. So there's Phoebe. Nobody really knows anything else about Phoebe. She gets mentioned once. Ordinary person, ordinary life. And Paul says, oh man, she's special. She's worthy of honor. Help her in whatever she needs, for she has been helpful to many. And especially to me. 
See, the challenge for a lot of us is we think, well, I'm never going to write a book, or I'm never going to start my own company, or I'm not going to do this. What can God possibly do with me? And here Phoebe comes along, and Paul showed up in Phoebe's life, and Phoebe just helped him and helped the church. And he said, that's amazing. And helping is something we can all do. You can help your neighbor, help your kids, help the people close to you. And of course, selfishness gets in the way of helpfulness. But to really put others before yourself. And so she was just helpful. And Paul says, she's amazing. Please say hi to her. Then give my greetings to Priscilla and Aquila. They were husband and wife team, my co-workers in the ministry of Christ Jesus. In fact, they once risked their lives for me. They put their neck on the line. They took their own comfort, put themselves aside, and risked it for me. And I am thankful to them, and so are all the Gentile churches, some of which, brackets, would not have been planted if I had died. So these guys, thank you. They're fantastic. That's how they're remembered. Also, give my greetings to the church that meets in their home. So many of you are small group leaders. We have hundreds and hundreds of adults in small groups. And you know what you do on a Tuesday night? or Saturday afternoon, you open up your house to the church. Eight or ten people, six or ten people, they just come in. That's huge. Thank you. Greet my dear friend Eponidas, founder of the EpiPen. No, I just made that up. Um, Eponidas, he was the first person from the province of Asia to become a follower of Christ. He was just first. He heard the gospel, said, I'm in. Give my greetings to Mary, who has worked so hard for your benefit. She just worked really hard, not for herself, but for the sake of others. You ever notice, you see the trend here? Selfish people don't make the list. And it's your selfishness that's driving the people closest to you, your self-obsession that's driving the people closest to you further away from you. Greet Andronicus and Junia, my fellow Jews who are in prison with me powerful time in Paul's life. They are highly respected among the apostles, the other people who, who were leaders in the church, and became followers of Christ before I did. Greet Ampliatus, my dear friend in the Lord, and greet Urbanus, our co-worker in Christ, and my dear friend Stachys. Greet Apelles, a good man whom Christ approves. He was, we don't know what he did, but you know, every once in a while you got that friend, you got that person, and they're just good people. You're like, ah, he's good people. And give my greetings to the believers from the household of Aristobulus. Greet Herodian, my fellow Jew. Greet the Lord's people from the household of Narcissus, who thought a lot of himself. Anyway, you know, these names are so interesting. Uh, give, I'm kidding, that's not, we don't know about that. Anyway, anyway. Give my greetings to Tryphena and Tryphosa, the Lord's workers, and to dear Persis, who has worked so hard for the Lord. Greet Rufus, I love this verse, whom the Lord picked out to be his very own. Then looks what he drops. Look at what he drops. And also his dear mother, who has been a mother to me too. See, some of you are doing that. You're just like, nah, bring all your friends here. I'll cook for them. Yeah, they can sleep here. Paul, you need another blanket? It's getting cold out. Here you go. You can be a dad. You can be a mom to someone else. And Paul, who's often alone, he never married from everything we can tell. It's like, you know what? She's like my mom in Rome. It's pretty powerful. And give my greetings to Asyncritus, Phlegon, Hermes, Petrobus, Hermas. If you're looking for baby names, we've got the list right here. (laughs) 
and the brothers and sisters who meet with them. It's just, what do they do? They just open up their house. You come and hang out here. Give my greetings to Philologus, to Julia, Nereus, and his sister, and to Olympus, and all the believers who met with them. Greet each other with a sacred kiss. All the churches of Christ send you their greetings. You see how ordinary lives, just ordinary lives like yours and mine, that Paul just says, you see the things that matter most? One of the dot connectors is none of these people were particularly selfish. They weren't self-obsessed. They weren't focused on themselves and gaining more followers or more popularity. They were like, nah, I'm going to serve. I'm going to help. I'm going to love. Which is exactly what the people who show up at your funeral will remember about you or not. That's the biggest impact on my wife. And I don't always get it right. I mean, those of you who know, who know me well, I'm an Enneagram 8 if you follow that stuff. I mean, it's a personality that God continues to refine and continues to redeem. And there's a lot of road left to develop my character. But what that boils down to, what all those things have in common, what Paul kind of celebrates in Romans 16, really revolves around character, which is what people are going to remember about you. And which I would suggest to you, God is more interested in than just your to-do list. Just your amazing confidence and all the things you're going to do and all the countries you're going to see and all the things you're going to get done and how big things are going to grow and what you're going to do. and uh, Your character, not your competency, really determines your legacy. Now, is what people say about you really all that important? No, it's not. But I raise it to say this. People are going to talk about you, but even more important than what people say about you is what is true because of you. What's true because of you? Do people who needed love feel loved? Do people who needed a place to stay find a place to stay? Did people, because we're not perfect, I'm not perfect, Did people see you growing in grace? Did did they see you continuing to chisel your character away and saying, yeah, I know, my temper, (laughs) that was a decade ago, but I'm working on it, I'm working on it. My drinking, yeah, we dealt with that. My anger, my lack of forgiveness. You see the echo effect that that has? to the people closest to you. And that's what they most long for from you. And if you're driven like me, if you're ambitious like me, if you're an A-type like me, but this is true for all of us, but especially for those of us who are maybe a little extra driven, all the competence in the world doesn't compensate for a lack of character. And as we'll see later in the series, your lack of character is usually what gets you into trouble because your character, not your competency, determines your legacy. You think about it, this is, this is like the news feed almost on a daily basis. There are always people who are highly competent in their field. It can be athletes in any given sport. It can be business leaders, politicians, super, super competent people, articulate, skilled, you know, fastest, strongest, best, whatever, you know, grew a huge company, felled. Why? Not because they weren't smart, but because they committed a crime. 
but because they woke up in bed with somebody they weren't married to. Because, and this happens to preachers too, because they took money that didn't belong to them. Or sometimes they didn't do anything that would land them in jail or get them charged or arrested. It's just they're so difficult to be with, nobody wants to be with them. In almost every field, there's always an athlete who's the fastest, the best, the strongest, the best positional player in the field who keeps getting traded. Why? Because no team wants him in their locker room. And we would rather have someone who's a little slower, a little less sharp, and a lot nicer to be around than that jerk. See, your character, not your competency, really determines your legacy. So as we wrap up today, I want to ask you three questions. If this was your last day, which it probably is not, but if this was your last day, and just, you know, the more honest you are, you don't have to say it out loud, but just be honest with yourself. Of all the lies we tell, the lies we tell ourselves are the most deadly. If this was your last day and your life was reduced to a single sentence, which ultimately a year from now it would be, It's like, oh, Carrie, he was blank. What would that sentence truthfully read? Like for real, not what you want it to read, but what would it truthfully read? You know, in my case, it was like he was working on his patience, but he never quite got there. Might say that. Might say sometimes little things became big things to him that just shouldn't have been big things. It's like he was working on his kindness, but it wasn't always there. What would yours truthfully read? He was just always drunk, always high. He was totally consumed by himself. Work mattered more to him than we did. What would that sentence truthfully read? And then what would that sentence ideally read? Like if you could rewrite it, what would it ideally read? What do you wish it would read? And you can be a little bit ambitious here. You can be ambitious enough to say, well, okay, what I want it to say is, but I have no idea how to get there. Like I'll just, I don't know how to get sober. I I don't know how to get less miserable. I don't know how to be less self-centered. I don't know how to be more kind. I don't know how to be more patient. I don't know how to be more loving. And then the third question is, well, what do you do about the gap? What do you do about the gap between what it would truthfully read and what it would ideally read? This is why I'm glad you're at church. Because there's some hope and there's some help. And so Paul wrote a lot of letters. Another one of his letters was to a group of Christians in Ephesus. We call it Ephesians. We're going to look at just a couple of verses from the second chapter where Paul was saying to these Christians who were gathered like us, and I know not all of you have made a decision to follow Jesus. We're just really glad you're here. We're glad you're exploring. We're glad you're investigating. But he said, if you are a Christian, this is what's true. This is how it happened. God saved you by his grace when you believed. So you didn't save yourself. I know there's this idea And you see this a lot at funerals. Oh, he was a good person. I'm sure God will take mercy on him. No, no, no. That's not how it works. None of us are that good. And that's not the system either. All right? The system is that God said we've all fallen short of the glory of God and that God out of his love and mercy came to save us through Jesus. 
And so God saved you by his grace when you believed, when you put your trust in him. All of us are trusting in something. Some of you are trusting in yourself. Some of you are trusting in money. Some of you are trusting in career. Some of you are trusting in a higher power. Some of you are trusting in the spirit of whatever the universe is. Some of you are trusting in nothing, which is actually something. But becoming a Christian happens when you transfer your trust to Jesus Christ. You say, I'm no longer trusting in what I used to trust in. I'm trusting in you. So God saved you by his grace when you believed in Jesus. And you can't take credit for this. It's a gift from God. It's not like God said, oh, well, actually, Carrie, you're a pretty decent guy. You're just in. You don't need a savior. No, I definitely need a savior. And it's a gift. It's a gift. Salvation is not a reward for the good things we have done. It's not like, oh, you've been good enough. You pass. No. None of us can boast about it. None of us can boast about it. It's a gift from God. And if you've never received that gift, we're going to give you an opportunity to become a Christian in a few minutes and to pray a prayer that invites Jesus to be the center, the Lord and the leader of your life. But then Paul says something pretty amazing. He says, so you get that, right? Like you, you didn't earn your salvation. You can't work your way into heaven. You can't work your way into God's good books. But he says, but you want to know what you are? You're God's masterpiece. You're God's. But look at this. You're his masterpiece. The, the Greek underneath that, because the New Testament, that part of the New Testament was written in Greek, is the word poema, from which we get poem. You're a poem. You're a masterpiece. You're a work of art. And God's not done. He's still composing. He's still sculpting. He's still painting. He's still writing. He's still making you. And he's created us, you, a new, brand new, and I need a new. I don't know about you. You need a new. You need a sober. You need a, you need a, a love. You need, you need hope. You need forgiveness. He created us anew in Christ Jesus. I love the way Eugene Peterson says it. He says, in the end, self-help is no help. You need some help. So we can do, he says, then he goes to the next part, so we can do the good things. That what? That he planned for us. In other words, you might have a whole list of good things that you want to do. God's like, oh, wait a minute, wait a minute. Why don't we talk? Because maybe there's some things I've got for you. The good things that he planned for us long ago. You're not an accident. You already heard that today. You're not an accident. God knew that you, God designed you. And he's like, now you want to get running with me? Oh man, we can do and be some incredible things. So, so. And this is the question I want you to wrestle with this week. I'm going to wrestle with. What do you do about the gap? The gap between the ideal sentence and the real sentence. The truth and what you hope for about your life. To phrase it another way, what does God want to do about the gap? Now hint, he'll help. Because for me to really be transformed... It's not just work harder at it. Because there's stuff that you've worked on for years. And you made a little bit of progress, but not a lot. There's something that God does. See, because God isn't like, oh, I, I believe in this doctrine and therefore I'm a Christian. No, God is an actual, we believe the universe is personal. We believe that there's an intelligent designer behind it. But not only an intelligent designer, a loving designer. 
who revealed himself through Jesus, and Jesus wasn't just a historical figure that probably lived. He was a man who was God, who died and who rose again. But it wasn't just like 2,000 years ago, he came back in the presence of the Spirit. That story I opened the message with, right, is what? I believe that's the Holy Spirit at work in my life, showing something I wouldn't have seen without him. And I've seen some of the progress in my life be a direct result of the Holy Spirit's intervention. God wants to shape your character more than you do. And he'll help. But centuries ago, Augustine said it this way. He said, you want to know how Christianity works and how change works? Pray as though everything depended on God. Work as though everything depended on you. So you can like, okay, I'm going to do this. I'm going to nail this. Yeah, you'll get a little bit of progress. But you invite God into it, he'll help. So, know this week that your character, not your competency, determines your legacy. It's your capacity, but ultimately that will determine what your life was about. And God wants an active say in that. God has so much better plans for who I am than I do. And there's so much more he wants to do in me before he does anything through me. There's so much he wants to do in you. And you may have given up on yourself, but God hasn't given up on you. So, what would it truthfully say? What do you wish it would say? And will you turn to God for some help? If you really want to be brave, ask someone you came with with what it would actually say. Truthfully, If I died today, what would the truth be? Because others see it more clearly than you do. The next week, we're going to come back. We're going to talk about a guy who almost had it all and lost it all toward the end because of a character deficiency. It's a powerful play-by-play story that's recorded for us in Scripture, and we'll try to figure that out. And then at the end, we're going to talk about, well, how do you work on your character? Like, how does this become a real thing? So that's the next three weeks here. At Connexus. I'm so glad you joined us. I'm going to pray. Lord Jesus, I'm taking whatever I used to believe in, myself, nothing, everything, something, and I'm trusting you, Jesus, with my life. I give you my life. I give you my heart. I ask you to forgive me for my sins, the wrong I've done, and I ask that you would come into my life and be my Lord and my Savior. Today, I'm trusting you. And if you prayed that prayer, we are celebrating with you. And Father, I want to pray for all of us. Would we just have the courage to even admit to ourselves what that sentence really says? And then maybe what you want it to say? Father, I pray you would move powerfully in our lives this week, in our families, that our character would be what you shape, and that what we do would flow out of who we are. Holy Spirit, I pray you would come and do the work that only you can do in everyone's life. Thanks for listening to the Pathway Church Podcast. If you'd like to reach out to us, go to our website, pathwaylife.com. And as always, don't forget to subscribe. See you next week.